You ever notice how the countdowns don't stop when the countdown stops? I notice that all the time because I work in the media room. Zero and the music's still going. No, zero means done. <laughs> Not to them. They do whatever they want. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good, good. Find your place in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Classic. I'm going to go verses 24 to 27 when we get there. Um, talking about preparation this morning. We're going to open up in prayer and get started. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your Holy Spirit in this place, both for this meeting and for the next, Father, that your anointing is here, that we open our hearts to receive and our ears to hear what you have for us this morning, Father, that we don't come here passively, but we come here actively to receive whatever it is that you have for us through your Holy Spirit this morning. And we thank you for the truth of your word that, that breaks bondages, that breaks yokes, that provides light to our path, Father, and direction to our and, and just clears confusion and chaos out, Father God, that your wisdom is the true wisdom, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Um, hardship is something the world has a problem dealing with nowadays. Nobody wants, nobody likes hardship, which is, you know, that's, that's a given. Nobody really likes it, whether you're in the world or the church, but... It's, it's becoming more so that everybody thinks they should be able to do next to nothing and succeed grandly, which is not the way that it's ever worked and will never work, um, but it seems more and more that people are starting to expect that. Um, and it's, as far as I can tell, it's leaked from society into the church because the church is starting to expect the same thing, um, that we can, we can do nothing and still do get everything we want, which is, is not true. It's just not true. Um, whether it's receiving what you're believing for or standing on the promises of God or even receiving direction, just moving through the will of God. You're never going to be able to do nothing, live on easy mode, so to speak, and succeed. You're, it's just not going to happen because there are too many things aligned against, even if you're not saved. If, even if you're an unsaved person, there are too many things aligned against what you are trying to do for you to be able to succeed with no effort. And thus, hardship. <laughs> um, which, you know, people, people have different definitions of hardship. Um, I understand that there's legitimate hardship. People, people are born into bad areas, into bad families, and have bad relationships, and bad things happen. You know, that's, that's almost a principle of the world, that bad things do happen. And those are legitimate hardships. But people that don't want to make any effort and they think, oh, well, you know, I've got to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning. This is hardship. That's not. That's not hardship. Uh, and for some, but it's, for some, that's the definition. Oh, I've got to go a little bit out of my way. This is now hardship. No, not even close. Um, but that's, you know, there's a saying and I, and I, it's not biblical. It was actually written, believe it or not, by an author, uh, in a book, um, that talks about, um, strong, what is, what, how does it start? Strong men make good times, good times make weak men, weak men make hard times, hard times make strong men. Uh, and it's a circular pattern. And while not biblical, it is very accurate as far as I can tell. Uh, because in the day that we live in, strong men 
made good times. And we're in the good times right now. Um, and lots of soft men have been made. And I don't mean, obviously, it is true, speaking of men, but people in general, it has made people soft. And the soft people are making hard times. And we can see that right now, that the softness of people is making things difficult. Uh, and the difficult time will bring about more strong men. It's a cycle that maybe we don't want to be a part of, but we're part of it nonetheless. And, and we're not going to look at it strictly physically speaking this morning, because I don't want to, you know, sit up here and preach a message for everybody needs to be a prepper um, for the end times or anything like that, physically speaking. But it's important for us spiritually to gird our loins, the Bible tells us to do, to be prepared, to realize that hardship is not possible, it's guaranteed. We're going to have hardship, period. It's not an if, it's when and how often. And the question is, how, how am I preparing myself for that? And it's not to say, oh, well, you should prepare for the worst. No, you don't assume that the worst is going to happen, but you need to prepare yourself for action so that when something does come, you're ready. Not that I, oh, no, I knew this was going to happen. No, not, you don't want to be a doomsayer. But at the same point in time, when the trouble comes, I should be ready to act. I should know what to do. There should be a scrambling going, oh, oh. there should be none of that confusion and I don't know what to do. Which way did he go? Which way did he go? You need to know what you need to do in every situation. In every situation. So here in 1 Corinthians 9.24, this is Paul talking about preparing yourself and why that's important. And he says, do you not know that in a race all runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run your race that you may lay hold of the prize and make it yours. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete? Everybody, everybody should, and, I, and I'm going to stress the should because I realize that not everybody does, but everybody should be reaching for a goal, reaching to attain something. Because everybody, if you know an athlete or if you've watched any athletes at all, the good ones are always reaching for whatever the prize is. Whether it's a championship, a ring, a trophy, whatever the case is, they're striving after that thing with everything they've got if they're a good athlete. They leave it all on the field, on the pitch, on the, the court, whatever sport they play. They're, they're done by the time the game's over because they've given it, they've given it everything to attain that thing that they're after. And he's telling us that we should do the same. And I know not all of us are out there running, you know, marathons and stuff, because that's not the point he's making. He's making a spiritual point through the physical example that spiritually we need to have a goal. We need to be reaching for something to attain something. Because if you don't have a goal, where are you going? Where are you going? What are you striving for? Because if you're not, if you're, we'll get into it a few verses later, but if you don't have a goal, all of your effort is wasted because you're not doing anything. Do you understand what I'm saying? The athletes go to the gym not because they like going to the gym. I bet you if you asked any athlete at all, how do you like conditioning? They'd all say, I hate it. But all of them do it. Why? Why? Because they understand that if they want to attain what they're after, 
be it a paycheck, a trophy, or otherwise, they've got to do it. Because without it, they will not be successful. Because there are other people that are going after the same thing they're after, and only one's going to get it. And if I want to be that one, I've got to put the pedal to the metal. Now, there isn't only one spiritual prize, and we should thank God for that, because a lot of Christians would be out on the street if there was only one spiritual prize, because not a lot of them are trying. But we want to be the ones that are. That's what Paul's saying, that you need to run your race that you might lay hold of the prize. None of this, well, I might go to the gym today, or I might not. I might sleep in for five hours today, or maybe I'll get up. How many times does the maybe I'll get up ever happen when those are the options? Never. I've lived through it. <laughs> it doesn't have, if you give yourself the choice, when does the hardship ever win? When does the, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up and work my butt off, when does that ever win? When the other option is, well, I could just sleep in and take it easy and have a coffee and a donut. When, when does the hardship ever win out? Never. Never does when you give yourself the option. So do you want the prize, is what Paul's saying. Because if you do, you need to run your race like you do. Go to verse 25. Now every athlete who goes into training conducts himself temperately and restricts himself in all things. Well, isn't that a novel idea? They do it to win a wreath that will soon wither, but we do it to receive a crown of eternal blessedness that cannot wither. Every athlete goes into, who goes into training conducts himself temperately. What does that mean? He controls himself. He controls himself. He realizes that if I want to be successful, I can't go eat a giant bowl of pasta and a large pizza every night. I can't do that and be successful. I can do that, but I won't be successful. And it's my choice. Because what is he doing? What are, the, what are they after? He's after the wreath. He's after that prize. He goes, I want the prize, and now I have these choices before me. How bad do I want the prize? How bad do I want it? Do I want it bad enough to go, no, I'm going to skip the pasta and the pizza tonight? And I understand in the physical there are some athletes that actually eat like that because they have to, because their body, we're not talking about that. <laughs> I know Michael Phelps, when he was doing Olympic swimming, ate like 10,000 calories a day or something like that because he was practicing so much that he needed that fuel. That's not the example we're operating by here. But you've, they've got to control themselves. And that, in, that control includes going and actually doing things you don't necessarily want to do. Because the, the, the restrict himself means i got to restrict myself to going to the gym. I can't skip the gym. I can't skip the treadmill or the laps or the whatever it is for whatever they're trying to attain. I'm going to talk about my son and he's sitting in here so he might be a little embarrassed. But, but he plays basketball and he does it fairly well. And he was on a travel ball team which is you know a basketball team that you go around and you play in tournaments and you do this and that. And what do you do it for? To win the championship, to attain the goal. And in doing so, we had practice many, many times. Multiple hours a week. Lots of fun. 
And we could have skipped practice because we paid money to be on the team. We don't really have to go to practice if we don't want to. But then he wouldn't have been playing as well as he could have. And he couldn't have helped his team get to the goal and win the championships that they did. So he had to put forth the effort. And sometimes I had to restrict him and say, yes, we are going to practice tonight, even though you don't want to. You know, he's a kid that's understandable because he's growing in those things where you do that yourself when you get to some point where you go, you have to make yourself do it because I don't know about you, I don't have anybody looking over my shoulder going, you got to go, even though you know you got to go. <laughs> There's nobody doing that for me. You got to do it for yourself. And that's where the training comes in. That's where the preparedness comes in, girding your mind and understanding that, hey, if I want to be successful, I've got to, get, I've got to get myself ready. And the hardship for us as believers usually comes in pushing back against our own self, our own flesh, our own emotions. There's an enemy out there, but we'll, we'll ignore that just for the time being. We have enough resistance in our own being that we have to push back against that creates hardship. This, this is, that's the only type of hardship Paul's talking about here. You notice he's not talking about, oh, you got to look out for those crooked guys that try to break your kneecap so you can't compete. He's not talking about outside interference. He's talking about you got to control you. They do it. They conduct himself, temp, conducts himself temperately and restricts himself. Why? Because himself is the enemy. Himself is the problem. Because himself doesn't always want to do what he's got to do to be the one that attains the prize. Or herself. <laughs> but you've got to, if you want to be the one that wins, you've got to be the one that puts forth the effort. There's a, um, <laughs> and I don't know how many of you watch sports, but there's a quarterback in the NFL right now. He's a very actually very well-paid quarterback um, that had a problem with controlling himself. And there's a lot of expectation to be a successful quarterback in, in the National Football League. It's, it's not like they just hire schlubs. These are usually the best of the best. Uh, and this guy had a problem playing video games. He liked his video games a little too much to the point where it was affecting his play. Because when he was supposed to be watching film of the other teams and preparing for defenses and getting to know plays and understanding what he's supposed to do as the leader of the offense, he was playing video games instead. And it impacted his performance so much that when they renewed his contract, they restricted his ability to do that. They said, look, we understand you like to do this and you're a free person, but while you're employed by us and we pay you this money, you will not play those games but X amount of time. And they actually had somebody that watched and made sure that he did what he was supposed to do. Now, why did they have to do that? Because he didn't control himself. He didn't do it himself and understand that, hey, this is, this is getting to be a problem. And there are, uh, this is just the one example I pulled, but there are, Multiple examples of substance abuse in all sports realms where that bleeds over. And they just can't control themselves and keep that part at bay 
while doing this and the performance suffers. And then someone else has to step in and say, okay, now we're going to take steps. Or that sometimes they just lose their jobs. You know, they get fired for, for whatever, you know, impropriety or their behavior or conduct. Um, they have all kinds of clauses, moral clauses in their stuff that you can lose all of that. There's a, a guy in the NBA that's the same problem. He had, for some reason, he hung out with the wrong people and he started making videos where he was flashing guns. And in the contracts that you had, and this guy was very well paid, millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars a year. And you, there are clauses in those contracts that say, while you are on business for the NBA, the National Basketball Association, you cannot do X, Y, Z. And he chose to do it anyway. And he suffered the consequences. Why? Because he did not temperate himself. He did not control himself. And made wrong decisions and suffered as a result. He was no longer able to compete. He was disqualified from competing. Why? Because he didn't control himself. Because he wasn't willing, for whatever you want to qualify that as hardship, he didn't want to push back against that thing and say, no, my pursuit of this thing is more important than whatever this is. Because that's, that's, that's the decision that has to be made on every front that we run into. Is this thing that's, that's encroaching on me and saying, hey, give me attention, hey, do this, do this, do this, is that thing more important than whatever it is I'm trying to attain? And only you can answer that question for you, but it's going to be asked of every one of us at some point. Is it more important that I watch the next six episodes of this show more important than what I need to do to prepare myself for the next day? whether that's prayer or spending time in the Word. Or, and we all have free time, and you can do with, you know, whatever you want to do. You're a free per, you have a free will. You can do whatever you want to do. But understand, there's opportunity cost. Does everybody know what opportunity cost is? There's an opportunity cost to choosing the things that we do. Opportunity cost means that if I choose to do A, there's only so much of B that I can do if I choose to do A. And then the more I choose to do this, the less I choose to do that. It's called opportunity cost. And believers, I don't know what it is, but they don't seem to grasp that. That the more I choose to do these things, the less I can do of these other things that are actually in preparation, in getting myself ready to move, to have action, to do something. You can't have both. There's only so much time. There's only so much energy, so much attention that we can give anything. And it's our choice. And it will continue to be our choice every time because it's not going to stop coming up. Your flesh is always going to want to do something else than what you want to do as a spirit man. Always. Promise. It's never going to stop. When you say, let's go pray in tongues, your mind's going to come up with 15 other things it would like to do rather than go pray in tongues. Verse 26. Therefore, I do not run uncertainly without definite aim. I do not box like one beating the air and striking without an adversary. I have a goal. I have something I am trying to attain. I don't just, well, I'm just going to run. Well, you don't just run. You run for a reason. 
And the reason is supposed to give you drive. It's supposed to give you motivation to do whatever it is you're doing. It's the championship. It's the trophy. It's the paycheck. It's the whatever. You guys, I mean, I don't know about you. I don't go to my job because I love my job. I go to my job because they pay me. And at some point, if they don't pay me enough, I'm going to stop going to my job. Why? Because I don't love that job. I'm not attached to that job. I do it with a goal in mind, namely the money in my bank account. (laughs) And fancy that, if I choose to not go to work, they're not going to pay me. So we've got to have a goal. You can't, you not only, I mean, you can, physically speaking, you can do things without a goal. Like I can just go up. Not really though, because even if you jog in the morning, like you wake up and go running, you're doing that because you want to stay in shape. That's the goal. You want to keep your body in shape. You want to lose weight. You want to do whatever. That's the whole goal. So with everything you do, there is an aim. Even if the aim is, I would like to consume that whole cake in my refrigerator. That's still an aim. It's a bad aim, but it's an aim. We don't ever do anything without a goal. The goal might not be prosperous to us. It might not be helping us in our overall goal that we should have as a believer, but there is a goal. And we have to set, that's one of the, one of the most important things is setting that, setting that on the inside of you. What is it that I'm trying to do? James, James talks about you don't have what you ask for because you ask amiss. Well, what does that mean? Wrong goal. Wrong goal. You, you ask because you're greedy and you want more. That's what, that's what he talks about. You're a, bunch of, you're a bunch of greedy people. You don't go to God and ask God for things so you can grow yourself. Oh, well, I just want more money. <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a good goal. Well, I just, I just want more. Yeah, there's, there's verses about people like that in the Bible. You know that, right? <laughs> Jesus talks about him, in fact. And I think at the very end, somebody calls that guy a fool. And I don't, <laughs> don't want to be a fool. You fool. Your life is required of you this night. <laughs> no, that's, that's not the goal I want. I don't want to be a fool. That's not my goal. Go to, uh, we're going we're gonna to jump somewhere else and come right back, but go to Matthew 25, 18. This is Jesus talking about uh, the, parable of, in a t- the parable of the talents. And he, this is one of the parables he goes into, and I specifically want to look at the, the, the servants here. It's Matthew 25, verse 18. And we don't, we, we're all pretty familiar with the parable, but this is the one, the one who received the one talent. But he who had received one went and dug a hole, dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And jump to verse 24 and 25. And it says, then he who had received the one, this is when the Lord came back and he was squaring up with his servants. And he said, the one who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, here, there you have what is yours. Why did he bury that talent? It says it right there. I was afraid. 
So I buried it in the ground because I knew you were a hard man. Now, even logically, that if you're thinking right, that kind of tilts you a little bit because it's like you knew he was a hard man. Why would you at least try to get more money for him? But it, that's not the point. The point is, is the guy set a goal through fear. I'm just going to bury this because I'm afraid of this guy and I know he's going to be hard on me when he comes back. So I'm just going to keep his money and then I'll give it back to him when he gets back. Through fear, he chose his course of action. Don't ever want to let fear choose your course of action. It'll always be the wrong course. Always, without question, be the wrong course. Because fear is not, that's not how God operates. God doesn't have anything to do with fear. The fear of the Lord that it talks about in the Bible is a sense of awe and reverence, not shaking in your boots, fear. While maintaining in the back of your mind the understanding that you're dealing with the most powerful being in the entire universe, who made us, who sustains us, should give you a bit of pause. That's the whole point of the fear of the Lord. Because <clears throat> I know how some people talk to their parents. And we just have to remember that we can't talk to God like that. Not because the bolts of lightning will fly out of the sky, because that's not what happens, but just out of sheer respect for who God is, we don't talk to God like that. That's where the fear of the Lord comes in. But anytime we, we set a goal, we should examine why. Why am I setting this? Why is this my goal? Is this based on what the Word of, what, what the word of God says? about what I can have in maybe a particular circumstance or overall that the Word of God tells me to renew my mind and restore my soul by spending time in the Word of God? Is that my goal, the renewing of my mind? Or am I just scared? Am I, just, am I being scared to the Word? I shouldn't be being scared to the Word. Fear should not be driving me anywhere. Because if I'm, if I'm enveloped, even if I'm, even if I'm scared, I'm like, I've got, you know... I've got a bill coming up that I don't think I can pay, and I'm just full of fear and anxiety, and I run to the Word and start reading verses. That's not going to do me any good. i got to get rid of that fear and anxiety first. And then i got to reach out to the teacher and say, Teacher, what am I supposed to do in this circumstance? Because I don't know, I can't tell you the times that I've gone to God and said, God, what do I do in this circumstance? And He's given me something that didn't really have anything to do with what I was talking to Him about. Why? Because there are, there are things that are interconnected that we can't fully understand. There's an example in the Word of God where it talks about when you bring your offerings, it says if you have odd against your brother, leave your offering on the table and go forgive him. What does that have to do with giving an offering? What does me forgiving my brother have anything to do with me giving an offering to God? Good question. Because they're connected. They're not independent. But only by leaning on the Holy Spirit and relying on Him for our, to set our goals and decide what we should be aiming for and shooting after, only by doing that can we fully grasp what it is we're supposed to be doing and what, what, what do I need to do to get to that goal? Because the Holy Spirit knows each and every single step that we need to do to get there. And He can help us with the motivation factor too. Because He can come and tell you, hey, your heart's not quite right. 
Because it's very easy for your heart to get off. If, if you're looking for, you know, some kind of increase financially or, or physically, like you need stuff, it's real easy for your heart to wobble and say, well, I just need a new car. For what? Because you want to impress your friends? God don't care about impressing your friends. That's, that would be called pride and arrogance. God don't care if you're driving a new BMW. That old Honda you got can get you to where you need to go just fine. Well, I don't want, I don't, it, it, it looks ugly. And does it drive? Well, yeah. Then thank you, Jesus, for a car that drives. Because guess, guess what? There are lots of people out there that are hoofing it or riding bikes. Yeah, or the bus or whatever. But we get, we get caught up on the, well, I, I want to be more flashy. Well, who cares? That's a wrong motivation. Well, I want people to be impressed. Well, whoop-de-doo. That doesn't impress God. And that's, the, that's who we should be trying to impress. Go back to 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to be in verse 27 now in the Amplified Classic. First Corinthians nine twenty seven. But I, like a boxer, I buffet my body, handle it roughly, discipline it by hardships, and subdue it for fear. Now notice, what does he buffet? His body. Not the enemy. Oh, I buffet that guy that came against me yesterday. I punched him right in the nose. No. I buffet my body. Why? Because he has to subdue it. Why? For fear that after proclaiming to others the gospel and the things pertaining to it, I myself should become unfit, not, not stand the test, be unapproved and rejected as a counterfeit. Not somebody else. His body. His own body. Why do I have to do that? Because the primary resistance you're going to have, the first, let's put it this way, the first resistance you're going to have to anything you want to do for God is not the enemy. It's going to be you. It's going to be me. It's going to be my flesh and my emotions are the first roadblock I have to get through to anything that I'm going to do for God. Anything that I'm going to do. That even goes with reading a single verse out of your Bible. You must first overcome your flesh and your emotions. If you cannot do that, you, you don't even need, need to worry about the devil. He doesn't even need to be a concern. If we can't first overcome our own flesh and emotions, the, that's moot. He's, he's not even in the equation yet. I have to get past myself before I can worry about anybody else coming at me from the outside. And it, it, it's, it's a, it sinks with the physical. If a boxer doesn't ever go to the gym and work out, he doesn't have to worry about that opponent. He won't even make it into the ring. He's not even going to make it in the ring. Because whoever he works for is going to take one look at him and go, no. No, I don't think so. We don't hire flabby guys to get in the boxing ring. We want athletes. You think I'm joking? That's, that's the way it is with anything. They don't, they don't hire, they don't do any, any kind of athlete at all. You just walk, go, go try. Go, when the Tampa Bay Bucks, when preseason starts, go walk onto the Tampa Bay Buccaneers field and say, I'd like to walk on and try out for P. 
pick a position. Doesn't even matter what position. Just pick one. I'd like to walk on and try out for X. They're going to laugh you off the field. Why? Well, look at the other guys that are on the field. Most of them look like the Hulk. I mean, if you, oh, last time, when did you go to the gym last? Oh, uh, 20 years ago? 10 years ago? No. You don't even, no, you didn't even start. You're not even started yet. That's the physical equivalent of not even being able to beat our own flesh and emotions to do what we need to do. That's the very first step. So you've got to buffet your body and handle it roughly. And discipline it, discipline it by what? By hardships. And we talked about people wanting easy mode, and here's Paul over here putting hardships on his own self. He's not waiting for anything else to bring hardship. He said, no, I'm going to bring it on myself. Why? So that he can train himself. That he can get himself prepared for whatever it is to come. Because what, what does he know? That this is going to be a contest. I'm not going to walk through to the victory. That's not how victory works. Victory implies a contest. You got it. <laughs> Judah would have never won a single basketball game if he walked out on the basketball court and just stood there and went, okay, I'm here to win. Well, you can only win if you score points. Because I guarantee you, no matter how bad that other team is, they're going to score at least one basket. So you got to go at least score a basket, which means you got to at least put forth some effort. <clears throat> and if you want to succeed, that's, that's how it's got to be. Go to John 16.33. We'll move back into the New King, New King James. Why should we be preparing ourselves in the first place? Why do we develop ourselves? Why do we put ourselves through, as Paul said, why do we put ourselves through hardships? Because we have to understand what Jesus said here. He said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Notice it doesn't say in the world you might have. It's possible. You could run into some trouble. No, you will have. Will have, which means matter of time. That's it. You will have it, period, point blank. But what do, what do most believers spend the majority of their time saying? Please, God, keep me out of trouble. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You are going to run into trouble, period. You are going to. So our job is to prepare myself so that when the trouble comes, I can overcome the trouble. And most of the time, because what does he say there? Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So what trouble is it that I actually need to be overcoming? Mostly myself. Mostly myself. Because what we have to understand about the word of God in Jesus is that our first job as a believer is don't quit. Don't quit. Which sounds easy. It's simple, not easy. Don't quit is simple. It's not easy because there are all kinds of situations that we run into that are hard. They're difficult. And our first job is don't quit. Because if you quit, what happens? You lost. If you quit, there, that's it. You forfeit. 
You, there is no possibility for victory when you quit. And what's the first thing that's going to make you try to quit? Your flesh and your emotions. The first sign of trouble, they're going to be like, okay, throw in the towel. I mean, it doesn't take but a few seconds, and they're like, okay, break out the white flag, let's go. It's like, no, no, I'm going to resist, I'm going to stand. Does it stop talking to you at that point? No. Most of the time, the voice gets louder. (laughs) What do you mean we're going to resist? I don't want to resist. I just want easy mode. Make this go away. Just quit. Make, just quit. Throw in the towel so they'll stop hitting us. No. I would like to win. And the first step to winning is not quitting. If every time we run up against the difficulty, a challenge, a contest, we walk in and then climb. <laughs> How would that boxer do? He climbed in the ring. The other guy climbed in the ring. He took one look at him and climbed back out of the ring. He'd have a very short career. First fight, second fight, third fight, fourth fight, guy does the same thing. Looks, takes one look at the challenger and shakes his head and climbs back out of the ring. Wouldn't work. Don't quit. Because it says right there, be of good cheer. Who's overcome the world? Jesus overcame the world. So our job is to rely on him, but the first step is you can't be intimidated by whatever it is and quit. Because if you can stick with it long enough, Jesus will get you to the victory. Because he already did it. He's just got to navigate you down the path to get to where he got to. And that not quitting involves us training our flesh, training our emotions to be hardened against those things. And buffing up our spirit man to resist the impulses of our flesh so that we can stay in the fight, so that we can do it. We will have trouble. It's our job to prepare for it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Paul again is talking about a different facet of training. He's, talking, he's using the example of soldiers here. He says, therefore, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And it talks down further right in this grouping of scriptures about those that are are soldiers can't be entangled with the, the, the regular normal affairs of life because they should be seeking to please the one whom enlisted them. What is that? A goal. That's the goal. I want to please the one who enlisted me as a soldier. Namely, who? Jesus, I want to please my Lord with what it is that I'm doing. And how do I do that? I endure hardship. Why? Because if I can endure that hardship, I will make my way to victory. But that's, that's the requirement, is the enduring of the hardship. Nobody likes to hear that. Anybody in here like hardship? No. That's why the name is hardship, not easy ship. But what do, what do soldiers do? They do. They train they, from the day they, they enlist in whatever service they're in. They are training constantly. Training to what end? 
so that when they, they don't just train because we want guys that look good in uniform. No. What good, what good is a guy that looks good in uniform if, if at the first sound of gunfire he drops his stuff and bolts the other way? It's no good. It's no good. So the whole point of the training, because how many of you, if you were to get into a, not that you would, but at the sound of gunfire, does your brain fire and you go, let's go, and you run towards it? No. No. Most regular people, they hear a sound that equates danger, their flight response kicks in, not fight. The fight response is not the normal. And I mean, unless you're in the middle of it and it's like, well, I can't flight, so I got to fight. That's not the normal circumstance. Most of the time, it's get the heck out of Dodge as fast as humanly possible. Well, what do soldiers train for? To beat that urge down. So that when that starts, the other urge kicks in. What urge? Load my gun. Aim my gun. Fire controlled shots. At who? At whoever's firing their weapon at me. All of this is training. Why? Because your emotions and your body are screaming at you to do something else. Until you beat them down into submission so that you can control them and do what you need to do in the circumstance. That's what soldiers do. That's the whole reason they go through what they go through. And sometimes it still doesn't work. But the only way to be prepared is through training. And training yourself. We've already, this whole, I'm not, I'm not even talking about the enemy. We are not, the enemy is not in the discussion this morning. The discussion is our flesh and our emotions must be trained so that they will do what we want them to do and not drive us to some course of action out of sheer fear or panic or whatever. We must prepare ourselves for the hardship that is coming, is coming. We are going to run into trouble. The question is not, that's not the question. Trouble is coming. The question is, am I going to be prepared when it gets here? And I don't, again, I'm not condoning prepping up here. I'm not, oh, stock up the dried foods and the canned goods. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about spiritually. Are we prepared for the trouble when it comes? Because I'll tell you guys, the situations that we're seeing right now in the world, it's preparation is in order. Not the least of which we need to understand that the Word of God says this, but People miss, miss it. Our war is, what does the Word of God say? Our war is not against what? But how many times does the church and believers take aim at what? Flesh and blood. They're aiming at people. Well, these are the bad guys. No, they're not. No, they're not. Our war is not against flesh and blood. What is our war against? Principalities and powers of darkness. That person is the way that person is not because they are that way, because something is controlling them. Something that can be broken off of them. So my war is not against that person. That person doesn't have anything to do with it. Because if we can break that power, that person will not be in the equation any longer. 
Well, how will that happen? God has moved people out of equations all the time. All the time. He, moved, he just moves people out of the equation. But what first has to happen? His people have to make the way for him to do that. And that's not attacking people. That's attacking the root problem. Well, what is that? That's preparation. You have to prepare yourself and understand that these people aren't my problem. There are deeper things at work here that are my problem. So I can attack them until I'm blue in the face. It might make me feel good. It might make my emotions feel good. But it's not effective. You're slapping the apples off the tree while the tree is still growing bad apples. It's not. The, the point is, chop down the tree. Don't slap the apples off the tree. Am I making sense? But believers, they get hung up on, oh, they get all, what, what, what gets fired up? Their emotions get fired up. Oh, well, we got to go after them people. Why? Why? Do they have anything to do with it? No. But why did that happen? Because my emotions got inflamed. Well, what am I supposed to be doing to stop that from happening? I'm supposed to train them to sit down and be quiet. I, the spirit man, will evaluate the circumstance and the situation with the Holy Spirit, and we will develop a plan of action. Then we will do what we need to do. I don't need to go screaming frothy-mouthed and wide-eyed into a situation because my emotions got all lit up because somebody with the right letter before their name or after their name or whatever said something I didn't like and now I'm angry. Well, get control of yourself. Are you a believer or are you not? Are you a soldier or are you not? <clears throat> I will hop off my soapbox now. <laughs> But that's what the Word of God says. Prepare yourself. Paul said, buffet yourself. Why? So that you are prepared for action when the trouble comes. And recognize anytime your emotions flare up, that your flesh flares up, realize that whether it looks like it or not, you've just stepped into hardship. And now you need to engage your spirit and say, look, I may not fully understand what's going on right now, but something has got the rest of me all fired up, and I need, to, I need to find out what's going on, and I need to take control of the situation. Because we cannot, in, it doesn't matter what the situation is, I don't care. The moment your emotions and your flesh get all bubbly, and we all know that feeling because we've all felt it before, the moment we get that feeling, you need to hit the brakes as hard as you can and say, look, I, don't, I may not understand what the trouble is, but there's trouble, and my spirit man is the one that needs to be leading here. Not my emotions and not my flesh. Because what is the point? I'm trying to attain a goal. And if I let those things run wild, that's going to possibly disqualify me from reaching that goal. At the very least, it's going to hamper my ability to obtain that goal. So I need to decide. Am I going to let my flesh and my emotions fly off the handle here? Doesn't matter what the subject matter under discussion is. Am I going to let that happen? Or am I going to keep my eyes on the goal that I have set before me and realize that no matter what, I can't let those things go wild if I want to attain my goal? I can't. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning.
We thank you that we'll consider it. We'll meditate on it. We'll take it down on the inside of us, Father, with the understanding that there's never too much self-control, Father God. There can never be too much self-control. So we ask you to point out the things to us that we need to work on, to show us the areas that we can improve, the, the rough edges that we can sand off, Father, that, that we can become the useful tool that you need us to be the, and attain the goals that you've set before us so that we can be effective for the kingdom. Because that is our goal, Father. Our goal is to be a good tool to the master and to be helpful and effective for the kingdom. And we thank you for it this morning. And Father, we bring our giving to you because your word has laid out rules and principles by which we can be a blessing to others and to the kingdom through our giving, Father God. And your word says that we are to do it with a glad heart because we can do good with our giving that we can affect the kingdom positively and affect people positively with our giving, Father. So we do it with an open and glad heart. And we thank you for the opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. If you need a giving, there's envelopes on the seat back in front of you. Uh, If you're online, thank you for joining us. Sorry I didn't acknowledge you at the beginning. But you can go to our website at newlifefamilyworship.net and use the giving, giving link to, uh, to give whatever it is you'd like. Select the, the right amounts in the right area, and we'll be sending you a receipt. And please feel free to reach out to us. We always love to hear from y'all on Facebook or email or any way. Uh, praise reports, prayer requests, we just like to hear from y'all. So we appreciate you, and we'll be back in a little bit.